This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. We're doing a second segment with Josh Cantwell today. We're going to continue with those nine ways to de-risk your business, but then also going to jump into a couple of things that I wasn't even planning on us talking about, which I love that they came up that you're going to hear from Josh today. Uh, so tell me though, let's move to, I think it was point number six, because I ask this often, almost every operator interview, I say, hey, okay, you know, how do you, how do you prepare for a downturn? Or we talk about reserves, how do you calculate reserves, some of that, and you talked about over-raising, having at least six months in operations, of operations in reserves. I love that. Uh, and I, I've even been scrutinized for this in the past. I, I tell you what, we had a deal, we were closed in March of 2020. Uh, so a week before the country shut down, we had a million and a half in reserves. And there were some people that were saying, Whitney, that's, that's too much. Like that's hurting investor returns. Like, what? you know, in the week later, we closed a week later, you know, you know what happens, right? But we didn't know if the world was coming to an end or what. And, but everybody was happy. We had the million and a half in reserves, right? That when that wasn't part of CapEx or, you know, like you said, uh, but tell us a little bit about that. I feel like it's so important. I'm so big on that as well. Uh, so I just want the listeners to hear why you say six months of operations uh, uh, in reserves and what that means of operations. What does that include exactly? How do you calculate that? So what we're looking at is basically the full stack of operating expenses. So everything from management fee to insurance, real estate taxes, all the utilities, GNA, marketing and, and advertising, legal professional, all of that stuff. So a full six months worth of all of that. So if we took in zero income for six straight months, we would have enough money to still pay all the bills for six months, right? What do people say about us personally? We've been taught since, well, obviously personal finance teaching is terrible in this country, but if you're getting good personal finance training from a young age, what does everybody say? Have every rainy day fund. Make sure you've got six months of of your bills in, in, in reserves. If you get fired or you want to switch jobs as you and your spouse, have six months ready. Basic principle, right? You also look at books like Ray Dalio. You look at books by Tony Robbins. You look at real great business thinkers that say, look, you're going to have a downturn. It's going to come from somewhere that you've never seen before. It's a great new book out right now called The Psychology of Money and talking about people that get DQ'd out of business entirely or out of investing entirely. And it came from somewhere that they never saw. Like every 20 years, the world totally changes. And so you could be on the cusp of the world changing technologically, socially, politically, and it's a risk that you never saw coming. Well, we got to have at least six months. Now, is a building really going to collect no cash flow for six months? No, like we're going to collect some cash flow, right? So really that six months really represents probably a year and a half worth of bleed. If you bled like 20, 30, 40,000 a month, you eventually that money would run out. Now, if you look at these guys today that did, you know, floating rate debt and the interest rates went up, they got killed because they had very little operating money at all. And they closed with the least amount of investor dollars possible because they didn't want to dilute the returns. I get that. They didn't want to dilute returns. So they didn't raise a lot of extra money, but now they're DQ'd. Now they're out of business entirely. They're giving assets back to the banks. And they're out. They'll never get back in. And so that to me is, look, it goes along with number one, Whitney. You got to invest for the long term, get long term debt, have a lot of operating cash because I've been through, look, I've been an entrepreneur since I was 21 years old. I've never had a boss. Never in my whole life. I'm 46 years old, 25 years. I've been through three major downturns in the economy and my personal life through surviving cancer, the economy, et cetera, et cetera. 
So I, I've seen this. I've seen it multiple times. I've never gotten DQ'd. There's been a couple times where I've almost got DQ'd, but I had operating cash to work through. And then eventually things start to improve and get better, right? And so that's the, and to me, the minimum. And, and that comes from three different cycles of personal or economic upheaval that I thought, man, if I didn't have this six months, I'd be in real trouble. Yeah, no, I just appreciate you elaborating there. I've talked about it so many times on the show. And still I hear different ways people think about it or, you know, oh, we'll have one month from the beginning and then we'll we'll take it from cash flow, you know, to increase that or or, or we'll do custom CapEx stuff out of out of some reserves or I, I just all those things that people try to justify, right? Having raising less or having less in reserves. Uh, and I couldn't agree with you more having that in there. I, oh, oh, man, you can't rob money out of a bank loan from like the bank is not going to give you an extra draw to fund operations. That's not the covenants of the loan. It's not in there. They're not going to allow you to do that. Um, and so I've seen other operators fall into it like, well, you know, we, we need $800,000 to pay these aged payables and the bank's going to give it to us out of our CapEx draw. Bull crap. They're not going to give it to you. It doesn't yeah. work that way. You, you mentioned full stack of expenses. I appreciate you just, uh, you know, it's a full stack. Uh, and I hear some people say, well, it doesn't include, say, debt service or, you know, and do you, do you all include debt service in that as well? I would hope. Oh, yeah, yeah. If I didn't include debt service, absolutely. <laughs> I just, I want to ask because I hear it all kinds of different ways. But in partner returns, the prof payments, that's out because that's a, that's, that's a, that's a profit. Right. That's from cash flow, right? Not that, but debt service for sure. Yeah, no, I appreciate the clarification. I mean, we could talk so long about each one of these things right, right. here. It's a great list, though. I love that. Uh, but, man, we're running low on time, so we're going to have to jump to a few final questions, Josh. Oh, sure. actually, you had a number 10, though. Did you want to share that? Yeah, right. So I think I've hit the jackpot with these two partners of mine in the way that we structured it. So the 10th way to de-risk your business is to separate the responsibility between three owners. I have in my business what I call strategic permanent partners, Glenn and Tyler. They're not deal partners. I see a lot of guys out social media going to events and they have a different partner on every deal they do. That's really hard to manage. And so we made the decision we were going to become a full service internal investment firm. The three of us were going to be GPs. We were going to split the responsibility three ways. That's worked out incredibly well. And the stuff that we had that was outside of our market, that it wasn't the three of us, we've divested of almost all of those and sold those off because we felt like we had less control. And there was it was a lot more kludgy. It was a lot more cloudy on whose responsibility is it? Who's going to follow up? Is it your responsibility? Is it mine? Now, the fact that we have these three partners with three swim lanes, one with acquisitions and raising capital, one with CapEx, one with asset management... We can also, I just had this question, Whitney, right before we got on the phone together, an investor asked me, Josh, what if you got hit by a bus? And I was able to explain to her, it's me, Glenn, Tyler, then our CFO, Roberto, then our VP of construction, Dave. So five of us would have to get DQ'd for the business to really be hurting. She'd love that answer, right? So that's really the 10th way is to set up your partnerships the right way and try to partner with the same people on every deal. Love that. Yeah, the relationship matters, right? Oh, yeah. Especially <laughs> when right. there's sales. Especially when there's a recession. Especially when things aren't going right. That's when you find out that a weak partner can become a major liability. All right. So, burning question I know all the listeners have. 
what's going to happen the next 6, 12, 18 months. And I know none of us know for sure. However, what I always say is what you think is going to happen affects what you're doing today, right? And affects, you know, whether you're buying or selling or all those things. So we, none of us really know, but depending on what we think, it does change what we do. And so what do you think is going to happen the next 6, 12, 18 months? And how is that affecting your all's actions in the business? I, you know, I speak from from real day to day operation here on uh, where I think this is going to go. Um, so really, this comes down to a couple of a couple of things, really three things, in my opinion. So number one, uh, the Federal Reserve pushed the banks as hard as they could. And banks cannot withstand any higher interest rates. Banks are essentially a function of the government. The banks are essentially a function of the Federal Reserve. So banks and the government are essentially hand in hand. So if the banks start to fail, the government can also not afford higher interest rates. We cannot afford two or three times payments on our federal debt. It's impossible. So not only the banks, that's a test market. If banks like Silicon Valley Bank are starting to fail, that also means that our government, if interest rates went up, would fail. So we hit the breaking, the limit. They cannot go higher. So that means inflation's here to stay for a while because you can't truly tame inflation. So that's point number two, which means that interest rates are now, I feel, going to stay about where they're at. The 10-year treasury is at about 3.5, 3.6. It's going to stay there. I don't think there's going to be a lot of interest rate hikes for the rest of this year. I do feel like there's going to start to be decreases in the Fed funds rate in Q1 of 2024. I think if you're looking to refinance, the best time to refinance is going to be late 2024, 2025. Um, I also think that something is going to happen. And when I say something, Whitney, it's going to be a couple things. One, war with China. If war with China happens over Taiwan, interest rates are going to drop back down into the one, one and a half, which means now you're going to be getting loans at 4%. That's one. Two, Government could default on their debt. If government defaults on their debt, again, interest rates drop down to one, one and a half, maybe even back to zero, and you're getting debt at around 4%. Okay, that's the second one. Number three, right? If we don't figure out how to manage our money better within our country, right? We're taxing people left and right, and our government is spending wildly all the time. We're constantly over our budgets in the government, if they don't find a way in the next three to five years to tame that, we are absolutely going to default on our debt and we're going to be in major, major trouble in the next five years. I don't think that third that third one's going to happen, but war in Taiwan drops interest rates. Uh, the, the recession drops interest rates. Um, you know, any, any, any possible default by our government drops interest rates. So one of those is going to happen and then interest rates are going to drop. So we're counting on 4% bank and permanent financing by the end of 2024. Love that. I love the list of things too. I was taking a bunch of notes there. Uh, and you got to have an investment thesis, right? You got to yeah. bet on something. That's where we're betting. That's what we think is going to happen. Yeah. So tell me how, what that, how, what that means you all are doing over there, like the next month, two months, what does that look like right now? Yeah, I mean, right now we're we're hustling to get all of our capex done. Last year we spent over five million dollars on unit turns and capital improvements. We turned five hundred units, and I'm not talking about make readies. These are half turns, full turns, uh, you know, major major improvements. 
Uh, so we're doing that. We're forcing, forcing, forcing appreciation in these buildings by turning the buildings, you know, a lot of C-class and B-class buildings, bringing them up to like at least a B-plus. That's major. Uh, I am right now in the last three months, I've been on the phone with investors constantly, new investors, previous investors, possible new prospective investors, warming up tons and tons of capital. According to the Mortgage Bankers Association, there's somewhere between $900 billion and $1.5 trillion. That's all going to come due in the next two years. We're counting that about 10% of that is going to go into major distress. So that's, you know, uh, $100 billion to about $150 billion of major distress. A lot of that distress is going to happen in the office sector, and it's also going to happen in multifamily where people got short-term loans. So we're warming up tons of capital and building relationships because when this stuff comes, good deals and good distressed deals go very fast. Somebody's going to find out about it. Somebody's going to pounce on it and buy it. So you got to be super liquid and ready to go. So we're warming up tons of cash right now, staying in touch with lots of investors. Guys that screwed up or they're screwing up their operations right now, they're hiding from their investors. So we're doing the opposite. Yeah, love that. Great answer. Unfortunately, man, we, we're well, we can keep talking. I, I love this conversation. I, so I want to hit a few final questions though, uh, kind of quickly. What's your best source for meeting new investors right now? Um, you know, for sure, it's our it's our podcast. It's it's we have a what I call a brand syndication system. We we push out our brand everywhere we can uh, through lots of different platforms and email marketing and that kind of stuff and getting people into our funnel. And then I take pride in one on one Zoom calls with investors. I don't do a lot of things in group. I don't push a deal out. And we do a lot of things of building major relationships. So we're able to go 506B or 506C. Um, but I take a lot of pride in me meeting personally, meeting investors at least two or three times. So I'm investing a lot of my time there. And I think that works really, really well. I think it's time well spent. Uh, especially when you're talking about needing that cash or available, right? You know, uh, in the near future. So uh, what about, what are the most important metrics that you track? It could be personally or professionally. Yeah. Um, look, on, on a professional basis, we track against budget. Uh, what percentage are we above or below budget when it comes to operations? Um, we also track our capital improvements like like crazy, like absolute fanatics. Um, that's allowed us to do some cool stuff. Whitney, when we manage a lot of that CapEx, we're able to get things like rewards from Lowe's. We just got a $30,000 check from Lowe's in an annual rebate out of nowhere. Uh, we'll earn this year probably $200,000 in free cash from Lowe's because we spend so much money there. So we, we manage that absolutely fanatically. Um, I track every email that we send out. I track the open rate. I track the click-through rate. Um, we track which emails get the best opens, the best headlines, so we can reuse those headlines. Um, I can tell you that emails that get the best opens, the headline is four words or less. Okay, so if you're sending out emails to your investors or to a, a group of followers, we have about 75,000 email subscribers, four words or less. It's the best open rates, the best click-through rates, the best engagement. If you send out long emails with long headlines, they're not going to get opened as much, so we track that. Um, and look, man, on a personal basis, yes, we invest. Yes, we're very fanatical about our investments. Um, but I think the thing I, I, I'm most fanatical about is my time with my kids. Um, and the reason for that, I had a friend of mine tell me uh, back when his daughter was 12, he said, look, Josh, you think you have your kids until they're 18, 21, 25. You don't. 
you have them till they're 12. And I was like blown away by that because my daughter was like eight at that time. Um, and I realized that as they got into high school and now that my daughter's about to turn 16 and get a car, I'm like, she's not going to want to spend a whole lot of time at home. I did not when I was 16 with a car. And so Don't I put think much gas in that tank. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the gas tank is empty. You can't go anywhere. Sorry. That's right. But the truth is that the time that I think is critical, if you have young kids, Look, I think the time is most critical is from age seven to age 13. Um, because that's the time where they want to spend time with mom and dad. That so many people are stuck in a cube, they're stuck working, or they're a doctor in a hospital, and they're hustling their face off, and they miss it. Like, I don't miss anything that my kids are, are, are doing. I'm a super engaged father. I'm also not, not like the nicest father, I'm a super disciplinarian. My wife is even more of a disciplinarian than I am. Um, and so I want my kids to grow up to be amazing humans. That is being yeah. nice, being a disciplinarian. Yeah. I've also told my kids that they're going to get none of our money. Like, I, even though I probably will give them some of it down the road, I've told my kids that they have to absolutely make their own way. High school, college, and beyond. I told them no matter what, they have to invest in real estate, at least as a side hustle. Um, but I want them to forge their own path, Right. Um, and I don't want them thinking that they're going to just, you know, um, live off of my wife and I's coattails and have life be easy. I want their life to be difficult because that's when I learned the most. Yeah. Don't we all? Yeah. Uh, so many things there we could talk about as well. Uh, give us a habit that you're disciplined about that have produced the highest return for you. Um, look, man, one of my, my favorite habits in the world, right? I go to sleep almost every night by 11, 1130. I'm up every day at six. I think that your sleeping habits, not only have people to talk about this enough, like it's all grind, 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 work harder, work harder. One of my favorite quotes in the world was actually, um, it, it was a poem that John D. Rockefeller used to cite. And actually, I think in the, in this in one of this, this recent book, I heard it again, uh, The Psychology of Money, that Rockefeller used to sit in meetings um, and just listen and listen and think and think. To me, if you're going to be a really great leader, you have to be rested and have a clear mind. So I drink very little now. I get at least six to seven hours of sleep, which is all I need, about 1130 to about six in the morning. And I guard my sleep more than anything else, more than my food, more than my workouts, more than my reading, more than my financial habits is my sleep. Because if I sleep well, I grow. I wake up with incredible energy, incredible drive, incredible motivation, and clear mind. Um, and so, if you're having any kind of trouble sleeping, like look at your other habits and make sure you're getting rock solid six to seven hours of sleep every night, and that will make you a better investor and a better leader. Definitely changed changed my life. My wife and I got serious about our sleeping habits uh, for sure. What time to bed? Time up early. Uh, but uh, how do you like to give back? Um, I look, man. I. I think I give back through volu coaching voluntarily. Um, I don't think there's any generation that's more at risk than our current 25 and under generation. They're absolutely being attacked um, through social media, through advertisements, through confused um, different ideologies, all different kinds from the right and the left. I'm not blaming any side. But our young generation of 25 and under is absolutely being crucified right now from every direction, 
financially, they're not being taught. Uh, Marketing-wise, they're being body shamed. Um, I mean, especially young girls. Uh, bullying that happens is incredibly brutal. Um, and so, you know, I, I think giving for me, business has been a great fortune, a great blessing for me to give me the free time. I'm blown away, Whitney, by how many parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles that have time don't go get more involved in coaching their kids, volunteering at the schools, helping out with these young kids, because if you don't raise your kids, someone else is going to raise them. And I feel like I have the opportunity through being a volleyball coach and a basketball coach and a, and a, and a football coach, all these things that I coach voluntarily, um, that I have a major impact on dozens and dozens, if not hundreds and hundreds of kids. So that's the way I like to give back. You know, older adults, some of these parents, like they're long gone. I'm sorry. Like they're stuck in their ways. I can't change the way they think. But if I can help their kids that are going through parents being divorced and all these other issues, if I can help those kids learn not just about sports, but about business, I teach these kids about business while I'm teaching them about volleyball. That to me is a great way to give back to this generation that I think is absolutely under assault right now. I love that. I Man, what is it? Stalin, of all people, said something like, you know, he could take over. If he, he could take over any country, just give him all the kids, what, like seven years and under or four years old and under, you know, and uh, he understood the importance of what we're teaching. Right. Uh, and so uh, in a bad way. But but I just mean, man, uh, we could do that in a good way as well. Right. Uh, even goes back to the parenting you were talking about for financial education. Yeah. For different ways to make their own money, to be independent. Like they don't want to be dependent on the system, but the system teaches them to be dependent on the system. You and I are obviously, uh, you know, success cases of being outside of the system. We need more of that. That's right. Josh, I, I, I could, I feel like you and I could keep talking for a long time about lots of things, but uh, unfortunately we, we have to wind it down, but I'm grateful for your time today. I know we've gone over a little bit as well. Uh, but uh, man, even uh, if somebody just really seriously think through these nine ways to de-risk their business that you laid out today, I mean, uh, man, you're going to be so much better off, right? I just appreciate your time uh, and a number of other things that you highlighted that that was uh, unexpected, which I, I, I'm very grateful for. Uh, just looking forward to getting to know you a little better personally as well. And but. How can the listeners get in touch with you and learn more about you? I see you, you do some coaching, you have a mastermind. I was looking at your website a little bit. Tell us how to, how they can learn more about it. So um, one way is if people want to learn about some of our investing systems, we decided this year to do uh, a quarterly live training event. It's a couple hundred bucks. We do it on zoom. Uh, they can get a ticket for that at foreverpassiveincome.com. Um, and then our main website, which is freelandventures.com has everything we do like our portfolio, our YouTube channel, a bunch of free training videos, all that kind of stuff, our podcast, they can all get access to that at freelandventures.com as well. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show, brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.